everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Single Mother's Fab Guide podcast. Wow, I think we're up to episode 17 now. Mm, I should probably check that. But anyway, amazing. Thank you so much for listening. And I really appreciate your support. And I hope you enjoy this episode. It's an absolute cracker. On the show with me today, I have the legendary Taria Pitt. In 2011, Taria was caught in a grass fire whilst running an ultramarathon and consequently suffered burns to 65% of her body. She survived against all odds and since going through her recovery, she's absolutely thrived in so many areas. She's a humanitarian, a motivationalist, a speaker, an author, a blogger, an athlete, a recent Ironman, the New South Wales Premier's Woman of the Year, and a recent finalist for Young Australian of the Year, just to mention a few. And she's also a very good friend of mine. Hi, darling. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me, mate. Good to be here. Thanks for coming. Okay, so we were chatting the other day about how people come up with excuses for not getting shit done and not following through on things that they might actually really want to do. Yeah. And I wanted to chat to you about it on my podcast. Obviously, you're not a single mother or a mother yet. I could be. (laughs) But you're a real expert in this area now with your coaching and speaking that you do on this. And I also wanted to talk to you about goal setting. Yeah. So from speaking to quite a few single mothers and just people in general, actually, it seems to be a common theme that you say things like, well, that people say things like, oh, I wanted to study, but it's a bit hard being a single mum or I'd love to, you know, learn French, but who has time for that? And I think that for anyone that may be struggling in life or someone who's gone through something traumatic might take on this sort of poor me, I'm a victim of life attitude. So I wanted to ask you because you've obviously been through something incredibly traumatic and you've not only recovered, but you've completely turned your life around and you're more motivated than ever. So how did you shift your mindset to allow the accident to motivate you to achieve all the amazing things that you've achieved yeah I think really everything comes down to our mindset you know it's how we feel about ourselves it's how we react to negative situations it's how we deal with other people um and it's all just everything's in our heads um and, you know do you curl up or do you step up do you shy away from stuff that terrifies you or do you take that one step closer I think with the excuses that people use um we all do it and I kind of think sometimes like I've got probably the best excuse in the world you know not to live my life to the fullest and I don't know why we use excuses and I think it's just we've all got this idea in our heads that the future version of ourselves is is going to be so much better than now you know, so like, oh, in six months' time when I save a bit more money, I'll be ready to quit my job or next year I'll start studying. And I think what people don't get is that life is happening right now. And So true. You know, like talking to you this hour, we'll never get back. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make it a good one, mate. We're going to make it a great but, one. Think, but it's hard. It's also hard to, to understand the fragility of life as well because – People are busy, you know, like you've got shit to do. You've got to go to the store. You've got to go pick up your daughter. You've got to make this phone call. You've got to cook dinner. Like there's, there's so much stuff to do, but I think we get – have you ever had that expression, working in the business instead of working on the business? No. So it means like you can get really busy just doing stuff, working away, but you're not actually making progress or having a vision for your business. 
You're being busy but not productive really. Exactly, exactly. And I think we can do the same with our lives. Yeah, it's so true, like what you were saying before. Like people are always like, oh, I'll be happy when it's the holidays. Yeah. Or I'll be happy when I get married. Well, what about just being happy right now? Exactly. But how do you convey that message to someone? I mean, I always say in my speeches, like, life is – I use the example. So after I was caught in the fire, uh, there were six of us survivors, but then two years later one of the men got hit by a truck. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, but I don't know if that resonates with people. Hmm. Because you know how you sort of think things happen to everyone else but not really to you? Yeah. Yeah, you do. You're invincible. Yeah, you think you're invincible. So I don't know if, you know, we all know we're going to die, but are we really going to die today sort of thing? Jeez, this podcast take, has taken a um, <laughs> bit of a macabre turn. <laughs> It is. It's a bit morbid. Yeah, yeah. Talking about dying. But so, do you ever have days where you're like, oh, I can't be bothered to do this today. I don't want to. Yeah, of course. So, what I try to do is I try to I use this concept of active choices. Mm-hmm. And it's just about being conscious about what you're actually doing. So, let's say my alarm goes off and my instant thought is, nah, fuck it, just keep lying in bed. Yeah. So then I'll just say out loud, are you choosing to stay in bed or are you going to get up and go for a run? And just by saying it out loud and just being conscious of your decision and not just, I don't know, going with what you're feeling, I find that helps. Well, that helps me stay motivated anyway. And also just just owning your decision. So don't say, oh, I can't go to the gym, I'm so busy, you know, like blah, blah, blah. If you don't want to go to the gym, just say you don't want to go to the gym. But don't can't convolute it with all these excuses. Yeah, totally. So I think like from knowing you before the accident, you've always been a really positive and motivated person. Do you think that maybe you're like this because it's natural to you? Or do you think anyone can like turn a crappy situation to turn their life around for the best? Or do you think it's sort of ingrained in us? We either have this positive attitude or we don't. No, and I think, you know, that's another example of an excuse. So when I do speeches, people say, oh, well, like, you were really lucky. You had a supportive family. I don't have that. Or you were really lucky. Like, you were obviously just a strong person. I'm not strong. Yeah. Or when you see a really successful businesswoman and you think, oh, well, it's easy for her. She's got a rich husband. Yeah. So that's another example of when we use excuses. So by making up those excuses, we're allowing ourselves to stay in the situation that we're in. So I don't think I was just born like this. I think it's to do with my mindset. I've definitely honed it over the past five years. I've become more conscious of the processes that I use. For example, that's the whole goal-setting program I've got, School of Champions. Yeah. But I don't think I was just born like this. Yeah. And I think when people say that, that's an excuse. That's a cop-out. So how do you personally make yourself, like, get rid of the excuses? Like, if there's something that you don't want to do or if there's something that you think you can't do, how do you get out of that mindset of, you know, oh, but I was in this terrible situation. Like, no one's going to expect me to do an Ironman, for example, you know. Like, I must be crazy. How, yeah. like, how do you personally turn your mindset around to actually do it? 
So I guess the reason why I wanted to do the Ironman is in a hospital. So throughout my whole life, I thought the bar for me had been set quite high. Yeah. And then as soon as I had my accident, the bar just plummeted. Mm. So the doctors would say, oh, you know, you won't run again. But, hey, like there's been other Burns patients who've gone to uni and, you know, you might even drive again. And, you know, look, you could get married in the future. And those things are kind of normal things that most people do. You know what I mean? Like most people go to uni, most people drive. Yeah. Most people get married. And I was so frustrated that because I'd had this accident, people's expectations of me had plummeted. And so that's part of the reason why I wanted to do the Ironman. I wanted to prove that, you know, I wasn't going to be defined by my circumstances. Yeah. But I also I think I had something to prove to myself as well. You know, I wanted to prove that I was fitter than I was in the ultramarathon. Yeah. Because it used to really frustrate me when I'd be out walking and people would be like, you know, oh, good girl, like <laughs> it's good to see you yeah. outside. And internally I'd think, man, I could outrun you, mate. Like, Well, it's a bit like you feel like. patronizing. I guess it's a little bit. Um, patronizing. Yeah, patronizing. It's like someone talking to a toddler. Oh, well done, you, you know, like. Yeah, that's, what it, that's what it felt like. So, like, yeah. there'd be, like, a round of applause if I walked up a flight of stairs. And it was hard for me to reconcile because on the one hand I was, I had to be really proud of being able to walk up a flight of stairs. Yeah. That was part of the journey. And I had to celebrate those milestones. But on the other hand, I was like, it's just a flight of stairs. Like, it's not really a cause for celebration and no but I think in your situation it definitely was like I think you know like you said there was a process and like baby steps and every single part of the process like you have to give yourself a high five exactly yeah you have yeah so you have to be able to give yourself a high five for for the progress that you make however small you know progress in the burns in it is measured in millimeters yeah not miles and it's a few millimeters forward a couple of millimeters back you know forward back and it's an infinitely long process as well. Mm. But that was hard for me to wrap my head around. But you're right, I just had to learn to celebrate the baby steps, but I also realised that I wasn't satisfied with those baby steps. Yeah. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because I think maybe people go either way and um, you sort of took this situation as like you wanted to prove you wanted to prove it to yourself and to other people. And I think for other people it might be really easy to fall into quite a deep depression. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did get depressed. I saw a psychologist. I took antidepressants, but I recognise that as just being part of the process, mm. so to speak. So this lady came and talked to me the other day and she said, oh, I've been feeling really suicidal. I don't know what to do. And I was like, go see a professional, like go see a psychologist, a therapist, whatever. And she said, yeah, that's what all my friends and family have said to me, but I haven't. Mm. So ultimately I think the individual has to take responsibility for their own happiness in their own life. So I can talk about goals all day. I can tell people, go see a psychologist, go do this, read this book, motivate yourself like this but ultimately you're the one that has to do it you know what I mean yeah and even in hospital even though I had a really supportive family 
I had a great medical team. I'm very grateful for that. I had to be the one who had to take the steps, make the progress. Yes. Well, you also like it is, it's, it's your life. You only live once. I know it's so cliched, but you have to not only turn up to life, but actually participate and be active and try to change your life for the better. Otherwise, you're just going to be doing the same thing, same, same stuff next year. Yeah. If you want to study, if you want to lose weight, if you want to do whatever, if you don't actually take steps to, you know, take action in your own life, well, no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah, exactly. Like you, Jules, you know, you broke up with your partner. You could have just stayed in that relationship and just said, oh, I'm really unhappy. I hate my life. My partner's a dick. <laughs> you know, like people say, people say that stuff though. Yeah, it's really common. It's hard to actually leave. And it's like, well, sorry, like it, this sounds really harsh, but you either leave or you just suck it up and don't complain. Well, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I think single moms are some of the strongest women I know because they've taken action and it's bloody hard. For sure. Undoubtedly it would be hard. And there's so much negative stigma attached to it as well. And, you know, some people are really ashamed at first, but I just think these women, we, we are so strong because the alternative is just like you said, yeah, being unhappy in a crappy situation. Like you've got to take charge of your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I want to talk to you now about goals and goal setting. And I know, as you mentioned, you've set up Taria's School of Champions and also I recently participated in it. Thank you. It was amazing. But for those who are listening who don't know about it, do you want to tell us a bit about your School of Champions? Yeah. So I guess it's my own process to set goals. And whenever I get asked, how did I overcome my adversity? How did I manage to turn my life around? How did I manage to build a life that's probably better than it was before? And the answer is it, it all comes down to my goals because when we – I just hold on, I just want to clarify what a goal is. So you know how people have lists of things that they want to do? So, you know, in 2017 I want to paint the kitchen, I want to pay down the mortgage by 5%, I want to – save five grand for a holiday. I don't think that stuff I got, I don't think those things are goals. I think a goal is something that really stretches you outside of your comfort zone, forces you to play on a different level and really challenges you and probably something that you're a little bit intimidated of. So for me, lying in a hospital bed, Iron Man was a really, really big goal. But yeah. when we work towards a goal, when we achieve a goal, we get so much more back in the process. So because of Ironman, I've got more confidence, more self-esteem, greater belief in my abilities, more resilience. And each and every time that we set a really big goal, so Julia, we did mining engineering together. That was another one of my goals. Yeah. And I'm sure now that you're a mining engineer, you feel more confident, you've got more self-esteem, you've got a greater belief in your abilities. Yeah. Compared to if you didn't go to uni, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When people ask how I, why I'm so confident, I think it's, or how I've rebuilt my life, I think it's because of my goals. I think like the Ironman, setting that goal when you're in hospital is just so phenomenal. And I read your race report, I think I told you. Oh, did you? (laughs) Yeah, and it sounded horrible. And I was like, oh, my God, who does this for fun? Oh, Jules, it was so bad. It just sounded 
Like the constant vomiting, it's just insane. So all power to you, girlfriend. But I've like that that was that's what kept me going, you know, like that's what made me push myself in my physio sessions. That's what made me get up at five in the morning. That's what made me train for six hours on the weekend. Like if you're not working towards something, why the hell would you go for a six hour bike ride on the weekend? Like Yeah. <laughs> like I haven't been for a six hour bike ride since Kona, that's for sure. No, I don't blame you. And also we can get into the habit of just setting one goal after another. And I think after you achieve a big goal, it's important to have some downtime. But I think the most important thing about goals, and I realised this throughout my school of champions, is that you need to be really clear on why you want to achieve it. Let's say people said to me, I just want to get fit because, I don't know, I just do. Um, That's not a really compelling and clear goal and that's probably not going to get you out of bed when your alarm goes off. Whereas if you just unpack it a little bit more, you know, I want to lose 10 kilos by next Christmas and I want to do this because I want to have heaps more energy for my kids, I think you've got a greater chance of success with that type of goal. So it's all about being really clear and the clearer you are, the more clarity you have around it the more likely it is that you're going to achieve it. So what was your why for Ironman? Because that's a pretty extreme goal. Yeah. I wanted to prove that I was not only as fit as I was in the ultramarathon where I was catastrophically injured, but I was fitter. And so whenever I got really fed up with the training, I was like, this is just shit, I'm not doing it anymore, I would just come back to that reason why. Yeah, totally. Have you seen that TED Talk, Simon Sinek? No. Yeah, I reckon your if your listeners, if they want to, they should watch it. I'll put it in the show notes. What is it called? Simon's in X. Start with wine. He's got a book as well. It's really good. Okay. I'm just writing it down. I'll put it in. Um, okay, so now that you've done that, have you got a new goal? No, because I think once you achieve a big goal, you need to just have some time. Chillax time. So just obviously you've got to do normal stuff in life like work and spend time with your family and yeah. do the washing. Boo. But I think that's an important or maybe even an integral part of the process too. So I don't have anything planned for the future. Like I'm going to New York next week for work and I've got speeches and, you know, more online programs and things like that. But I don't have another – Huge goal. And you'll probably just work that out as time goes on anyway. It might just come to you. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's any pressure, you know. No, no, definitely not. (laughs) So just briefly, I know that your School of Champions goes into this in a lot of detail, but what are some of your sort of quick tips for reaching a goal? Like I know you mentioned the why. That's probably the biggest one. Yeah, I think that's the biggest one. So if you get – really, really, really clear on what it is that you're trying to achieve and why. Um, So, for example, if you want to write more, like what does that mean to you? Does that mean you want to become a New York Times best-selling author? Do you want to write a weekly blog? Do you want to write a short story? And then you've got to think about why you want to write it. So maybe you want to write a kid's book because you love seeing the look of delight on kids' faces kind of thing. So 
the more you can unpack it and the more specific you can be, the greater your chances that you're going to achieve your goal. Um, I think another really important part of the School of Champions process or what I noticed anyway was people didn't know where to start. So, you know, for Ironman I thought, oh, like such a big goal, it's kind of too hard, I can't even run, like I don't know, it's so hard, I don't know where to start. And so I just, I basically just got people to, to write a list of everything that they could think of that would help them with their goal. So, for example, for Ironman I had to get a coach, I had to be able to ride a bike, I had to be able to swim and then I could unpack those goals even more. So with swimming, I had to go to the local leisure centre, do a few one-on-one swim classes. I had to get a wetsuit because I got cold in the water. And when you've got this really big list of things that you have to do, that can be overwhelming in itself. But you've just got to take it one thing at a time. So I would just do one one thing from my list every day. Yeah. It would have seemed like, I think, really overwhelming because – I know you weren't really a swimmer before. I wasn't a swimmer and then my hands are really badly burned. Yeah. And when you swim, you know, that your hand is your paddle. Mm. Um, I couldn't ride a bike. Yeah. So, like, I had to learn how to do that. And you know how with bikes they wear those clip-in shoes? Yeah. That was terrifying. I would be really scared of that as well because if you fall, you're attached, wouldn't you? Yeah, you need shit. So that's what I mean. When I first started thinking about it, I'd be like, oh, fuck, man, like too scary, can't do it, hectic. But then I'd just say, well, just keep breaking it down. Like, okay, you can't ride a bike with clip-in shoes yet, but maybe you can start a tri- riding on a tricycle. Yeah. So I guess we're getting back to that theme of baby steps, being able to celebrate those. Hmm. So I had to be proud of myself that I could ride a tricycle, but I also had the big vision in my mind of doing an Ironman. Yeah. And you reach that. And I think it just goes to show that anything really is possible. Like if you set your mind to something and take those steps yeah. to achieve something and break it down, what's stopping you? Exactly. But I, th- I think also, you know, you've got to be realistic that whatever you're trying to achieve, it is going to be work. So for you, Jules, like doing this podcast, writing your blog post, doing the mums groups, all of that takes work. And if you wanted to make your life easy, you probably wouldn't do any of it. But, yeah, you know, I think there's, there's satisfaction in, in working really hard for something and, and seeing it pay off. Yeah, exactly. I think so. And I have grand plans for Single Mother Survival Guide. So baby steps. Yeah, well, I've been reading your Single Mother Survival Guide, mate. Do you like it? Yeah, it's it's funny. (laughs) Actually, on that, I have a – so as part of that, I've got a support forum, which is a group for people to post and support each other. Yeah. Now, I posted on there last night that I was interviewing you and if anyone had any questions. Yeah. And I have two that I wanted to put to you from listeners. Yeah. Okay, the first one is from Lindsay. She said, I think her mum is a single mum. If so, can you ask about her upbringing from a single mum? As she clearly has a huge amount of inner strength and self-worth, which may be from her parents, one or both. Okay, so 
my mom wasn't a single mom when we were growing up. Well, you were about 20 or so when they got divorced, weren't you? No, I was like 17. And then they both got, oh, okay. then they both got remarried. Um, so my parents were kind of like yin and yang. So, you know, my mum was very much like full of praise. Um, you know, I guess like mums, not all mums, but a lot of mums are. And I did get a lot of my self-worth from my mum. But another really important lesson that my mum taught me was the importance of hard work. So my mum wrote a book called Breadfruit, which didn't reach the audiences that I guess she was hoping it to. Um, so she didn't make any money off it. And then Dad said, okay, you've tried your writing thing. You've got to start contributing to the family again. So then she got a full-time job. But the writing bug had bit her and so she still kept writing. Now, she wrote her second book after all four of us kids were asleep at night and I remember her office used to be next to my room and I'd fall asleep listening to her type away at her keyboard. So, you know, she's raising four kids. She had a full-time job. She was running the household and then she was writing a book at night time when she was supposed to be asleep. And her second book was amazing became a huge commercial success. It was translated over um, 10 different languages. It was published all across the world. Incredible. And I think seeing that as a young young person, maybe even though I didn't realise it at the time, but it made me realise that, you know, if you work hard for something and you believe in something, you will reap the rewards eventually. Yeah. Um, What was the name of her book? um, She wrote a trilogy. The first one's called Breadfruit. The one that was really commercially successful was called Frangipani. That's right. The third one is Tiara, which is a national flower of Tahiti. Um, but I also got some valuable lessons from my dad, um, which was basically like, you know, just suck it up. So when we were growing up, my dad had two rules. So rule number one was no whinging, <laughs> and rule number two was no bloody whinging. <laughs> So we we weren't we weren't allowed to whinge or complain about anything as kids, um, and I think that served me really well. And so what I do with life is, you know, I look at people, I look at the traits that I really like in them. So Mum, I really admired her hard work, her dedication, her love for her kids, and in Dad, I really admired his um, kind of toughen up princess ethos, I guess. Yeah. And both of those have served me really well. Now, my mum's not perfect. My dad's not perfect. I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. And they've both got their flaws. Um, but I choose to just take take what I like and, and um, I guess, appreciate that in them. Yeah. And your parents are lovely. They're both really lovely people. Yeah, but, I mean, like, they're both kind of crazy. <laughs> They do have their quirky sides, but yeah. we won't go into that. No, I think you've definitely got a lot of their attributes, that like their positive attributes. Yeah, and I don't again. I don't think it's. I don't think it's positivity. I think it's. You know, if if your outlook of the world is you know life's a bitch and then you die, mm. probably not going to be a really interesting and fun person to be around. But if your outlook is you know like 
people are good, people are mostly good, life happens for me, it doesn't happen to me and I can, I can build whatever life I want, you know, you're going to have a higher chance of success in life. Yeah, it's about your attitude. It's about your attitude. It's how you, you know, it's, it's what you see in a situation. It's a, is a glass half empty or is it half full kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Okay, second question is from Kirsty. Um, she, which she's already on it, sort of already answered it, but she wants to know what your parents' marriage was like. What was <laughs> your parents' marriage? <laughs> uh, my parents' marriage. Um, they were both artists. My mum was, mum was writing, and dad was doing these huge oil on canvas paintings. We didn't have a TV when we were growing up, so they were very. I wouldn't say bohemian, but almost. And then my dad just became obsessed, not obsessed, but I think he saw a lot of his peers were doing well financially and I guess him and mum weren't. So he changed his focus away from art and more into making money. And I think that caused a lot of tension in the household. Because dad was going off to work, mum was writing, dad was like, come on, like, I'm working, you've got to help but contribute to the family and, you know, then, then mum ended going to work and dad really pushed her to do that and I think mum resented him and I don't know. It was, I don't, I, now that they're not together, I'm like, well, how did you guys ever get along? That's how I think about my parents. Yeah. I'm like, I don't even know how you guys were married for so long. I yeah, can't see it. I think credit to them, you know, they were married for 20 years. I think two decades is a really bloody long time for anyone. Yeah, it's ages. Um, I think they did really well. Yeah. How long have you been with Michael now? Eight years. That's amazing. Is it or is it tragic? No, it's amazing. No, it's so really, special. Um, I, wouldn't, I won't say lucky because I hate it when people say, oh, so lucky yeah. to have a man like Michael. I think. Uh, and he's lucky to have well, you. Well, I think it's just where we suit each other. Yeah. We're compatible partners. We're best mates. And honestly, I just think it comes down to the fact that we both just let each other do what we want. So Michael doesn't try and hold me back. And I don't try and hold Michael back. So whatever he wants to do, I fully support it. Whatever I want to do, he fully supports it as well. And I think it's pretty rare to find someone who allows you to go after what you want. Yeah, I think so too. And you guys have such a great relationship. Yeah, but I mean, it's not perfect. But I'm also I'm also very cognizant of the fact that, like, what what relationship is perfect? Yeah, I don't think any relationship is perfect. Everyone's going to have their struggles and challenges. Exactly. And I think it's really easy to look at other people's relationships and think, oh, wow, like they look really happy together. But, yeah. It's not always the case. Well, it's not It's not the case. It's never the case. But in summary of Michael, yeah, I am very grateful to have him in my life. He's a beautiful man. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so I'll just ask you a couple of last quick questions and you can just give a sort of one or two word response. Are you trying to say that my answers have been too long? 
<laughs> no. <laughs> no, you can answer them as long as you like. <laughs> I just thought we had time constraint. No, no, no. Okay. Fire away. Okay. I'm just going to add one. So what was the last fight you had with Michael? Last fight I had with Michael? Oh, so since Iron Man, I've been um, not partying but kind of having fun on the weekends and we went to a wedding and the next day we were both really hungover and so we had a fight and that made me realise, I was like, you know, that's why I don't, that's why we don't really drink together. Yeah, alcohol causes so many problems. Alcohol is probably one of the biggest causes of issues and that's why Michael and I rarely drink and I guess that's why we get along so well because we don't, I don't know, I think alcohol creates – I don't. did you fight with your partner when you were hungover or drinking? Yeah, well, sort of. I mean, he wasn't really a big drinker, I have to say, but whenever we did argue, he would often turn to alcohol yeah. as a result, a consequence yeah. of it. But we had a couple of big arguments about that. But I can't say we really – we didn't really drink together, you know, that, that much as sort of a thing. Yeah, okay. I've had boyfriends like that in the past, though, and definitely. Yeah, it, it makes alcohol just allowing to escalate really, really quickly. Yeah, and you just don't see things clearly. No, you don't. You're pissed. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> you end up making a molehill sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right. Favorite breakfast for when you're in a rush? Those little chia pods from the supermarket. Ah, haven't tried them. Well, they're pretty expensive. They're like $3.50, but they're good for me because they're portable. So when I'm driving up to Sydney and I'm running late, I can just chuck a few of them in my bag Yeah, and eat them on the road. And they're, re- they're, they're quite nutritious. Awesome. I'll have to check them out. And who's your favourite celebrity that you've met and why? Kurt Fernley. I met him at a... Oh, my God. I don't even know who that is. You don't know who he is? <laughs> Who is that? He's a para-Olympian. He is – he crawled the Kokoda track. He doesn't have legs. Oh, oh, I yeah. know who you mean. Oh, yeah. my God, that's amazing. You know, I've met some pretty big celebrities. Um, I'm going to do a bit of a name drop here. I met Brangelina and, like – Yeah, I remember when you met Brangelina. Did you talk to them? Yeah, and then, like, I met Princess Kate and I've met, like, a couple of other pretty big celebrities and I've – I'm not trying to be on myself, but I've never been overly phased. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like Angelina is a cool woman. Like she's she uses her profile for the benefit of humanity. Like I've got a lot of respect for her. But when I met Kurt Fernley, I was a total goose. Like I didn't know what to say, and I was kind of really awkward. And I think. I was sitting next to him and I think he was like, okay, can someone save me from this? He's <laughs> all over me like a rash kind of thing. So I, I cocked it up. I'm sure he felt just as honoured to meet you. No, nah, man, he didn't. He wheeled the first chance that he could get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, He's like, who are you? I can imagine you probably were pretty full on. I was like, you know when I'm full on and then there's like, yeah, you know, really, really full on? I was doing that level. And I could just see his eyes, like, looking around, seeing if anyone could rescue him. 
<laughs> so funny. That's great you got to meet him though. Yeah, he's a legend. Yeah. And your listeners should read his book too. Yeah, all right, I'll put yeah. it in the show notes along with your mum's books. Yeah, and I, actually I'm gonna, this is one of my tips when people ask how I stay inspir- well, like inspired is I am always reading books about inspirational people inspirational people and watching TED Talks about people who are doing really cool shit in the world. And, I mean, a TED Talk is only around 10 minutes, so it's not a huge drain on someone's time. And you can listen to it in the car. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you're driving to pick up your kids or whatever, um, yeah. Yeah. No, I like those sort of things as well. It's always good to listen to people who have, you know, been through something challenging or, you know, yeah, done something awesome. Exactly. And it's, it's inspiring. After you listen to it, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go do X or do Y or do Z. And I think, you know how if you want to get fit, you have to go to the gym pretty much every day or do exercise every day? Yeah. It's the same with being, staying motivated and staying pumped up and staying enthused for life. You can't just go to one seminar and expect that to last for the rest of your life. It's something that you've got to constantly work on and constantly do. So that's why I read books by inspiring people or even interesting people. And I, I listen to a lot of TED Talks. Yeah, that's awesome. And you've got another book coming out. Yeah, next year. Yeah. So amazing. What's that one about? Is it about it's your journey since the last one? Yeah, well, it's about, it's about me, obviously. Uh, <laughs> um, and it encapsulates, obviously, a bit of the fire and a little bit of hospital. But, I mean, when people ask me questions about the fire, I'm, I'm always – a bit bemused because I I don't actually think getting trapped by a fire is that interesting because it can kind of happen to anyone. Mm. But I think what I've done since, how I've reinvented myself, the mental processes I use, my strategies, I think that stuff is the gold. And so that stuff will be in this book. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I look forward to reading it. Well, good. I hope you buy it. (laughs) I will. Definitely. And what's next for you apart from New York next week? Nothing. Nothing. Like I said, I'm just doing normal life, so just working. I'm not. Don't have any big challenges on. Oh, actually, sorry. I'm going to base camp next year. That's right. We're <laughs> into blast. If any of the listeners want to come join, they can just go to my website and find the link there. Actually, I'll email you the link if anyone wants to join. Okay, cool. And I'll put it in the show notes. Well, I really wanted to go, but I wanted to go to Everest. Do you think that's ever going to happen? You went Killy. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I know. I wanted it to happen too, but it was just, it was really expensive this year, Jules. Mm, such a shame. It was going to be like nine grand travel costs. Yeah, that's crazy. It's a bit I, much. Thought, I thought that would be unreasonable. Well, if it doesn't happen through Interplast, maybe you and I just that, do it together one year. Yeah, well, we, there's no reason why I couldn't do it next year. I want to go for it with Interplast. Like, I reckon that would be awesome. With Interplast would be amazing. Yeah, I know. I just hope. I don't know, maybe the, the Tanzanian government will reduce the amount of tax yeah. that they put on people. Yeah. Yeah, maybe write a letter to the um, Tanzanian government, mate. I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good letter of complaint. <laughs> but I also love letters of praise and I'm always the first one to ring a company and say, hey, by the way, thank you so much for that great customer service in your store yesterday. 
No way. You don't do that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, I actually always tweet companies. I'm a bit modern. I don't write letters and then post them off. <laughs> I've got to get more into the tweeting. I've only just joined Twitter. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm a bit yeah. old-fashioned. I don't think I've really nailed Twitter yet either. I've been on it for like two years and I don't know. I've got a pretty good following on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And like really bad following on Twitter. Yeah, I really don't know what I'm doing on Twitter. No, nor do I. That makes two of us. It but- seems like, because I went to this digital media course and it was like, Apparently, your tweet disappears so quickly anyway. It's not like Facebook where it stays in your news feed for ages. Yeah, like things, you've got to sort of be on Twitter like 10 times a day. Yes. And I don't know if it's worth that. It's pretty time consuming. Well, yeah, and it's like, is that, is your time best spent there or, you know, for you doing these podcasts, writing blog posts, you know, we've only got so much time. Yeah. Opportunity cost, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Time is money. Exactly. <laughs> and on that note, I better let you go. <laughs> We've pretty much just spent the last 15 minutes just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Trey, for coming onto the show with me today. I know how busy you are. It's been an absolute honour to speak with you. Thank you so much. No worries, mate. All the best. And um, I'll be able to tweet out this podcast once it's live. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I look forward to seeing what's next on your journey as well. All right. Thanks, mate. All right. See you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to that episode of Single Mother's Survival Guide. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it really inspiring. Tari is always a really inspirational person to talk with and hear from. And I will speak to you next week with another great episode. Bye. Bye.